Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourselves. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. And they are not to put, not, they are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For the, for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of the man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on, and the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. 
before I jump in to Psalm 37, let me just take a moment, a, a personal moment here to share with you something that you can be praying for for the next couple of weeks. A year ago this weekend, uh, you celebrated with us, you helped us to celebrate uh, our being here, my being here at Richland for 20 years. And part of that celebration was that you gave a very generous gift to us so that our family could travel out east and see Washington, D.C. and explore that. And so for the last year, we've been been looking and planning and hoping and dreaming about going. And the journey for us starts today. As soon as we're done with church today, we will load up in our minivan and we will drive east and uh, begin that journey for the next two weeks. And so you can just be praying for us. We have a lot of things uh, jam-packed into our schedule. And in fact, I was, I've told Jenny this week, and, and I mentioned it again this morning to one of you, that, that you can be praying, especially for me, um, in these next days, especially this next, this next week as we head east, uh, there are just a number of things that we're doing and details and, and, and all of those things that we've been planning out together. And, and my fear, is that each day, as we're doing one activity, I will be worried and, and stressed out about the next day's activity. And so I, 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 I'm serious in that. I ask just that you'll pray for me this week, that, that I will be in the moment, in that day, celebrating with my family and enjoying all those activities. Um, we are we are really excited. We have lots of things planned. Everything from from Lincoln's tomb to the Hershey Chocolate Factory to the giant Ark replica in Kentucky to uh, to the Gettysburg Battlefield. Um, lots of things in D.C. We'll be there for a number of days. Uh, Williamsburg, Virginia. We're hoping to see Mount Vernon, uh, Monticello, Jefferson's home. We're hoping to see the Atlantic Ocean in in Virginia. And uh, so we just have a lot of those things planned. And then we're just going to drive as fast as we can to get back home when it's all said and done. So that's my next two weeks in a nutshell. And so I just, I, I hope that you'll pray for me. And, and I want to tell you, thank you again to, for allowing us this opportunity, giving us the time off to do it, as well as the financial gift that you gave us to do it. So uh, we're going to be doing that. And also, the other part of the reason I tell you that is that Pastor Ron has been away, as you know, for the last couple of weeks. He's been on vacation in California with his, or in, in Indiana, sorry, in Indiana with his family. Um, and so today, as we drive uh, out and head and head out on our vacation, he'll be driving home, and we will wave at each other on the interstate as we drive by. And so he should be home tonight uh, or tomorrow morning, and uh, we'll be gone. And so, so you will not be pastorless in these next couple of weeks. Pastor Ron will be home tonight, and will be around and in, in, in the office this week. This morning, though, you don't care about all those details. You want to know about Psalm 37. So let's jump into Psalm 37. Uh, as as I've shared the last few weeks, we shared about Psalm 3 and Psalm 63, uh, a specific story, a specific moment in David's life where where Absalom had had started a coup and had tried to take over the kingdom and declared himself king, and David was run out of Jerusalem. And and in the end, uh, Absalom's coup fails. David is is reestablished on his throne in Jerusalem. And those two psalms that we looked at, Psalm 3 and Psalm 63, came out of those moments. Today. We don't have a specific moment in David's life where this psalm was written and took place. But we can see, if you look at the very beginning of your psalm there in Psalm 37, we see that this is a psalm of David. Again, David has written this psalm, and we can can assume, because of verse 25, if you look at verse 25, he says, I have been young, and now I am old, that David, David is writing this psalm at the end, probably, or towards the end, of his reign, towards the end of his life. This is kind of a culmination for David as he writes. 
This, this psalm, there's a number of psalms like this throughout the book of Psalms, but this psalm particularly is, is an acrostic made out of the Hebrew alphabet. And so we don't understand the Hebrew alphabet and we can't see that and, and picture all of that. And so some of the things that we read maybe appear to be a little disjointed. They don't always make sense for us because of the acrostic that he made out of the alphabet. Um, when I say acrostic, I mean he, uh, he would have taken the alphabet and, and, and started a, a, a verse with A and then the next one would have been B and then the next one would have been C and D and E and so forth and so on. We don't, we don't have the same alphabet. We don't see it the same way. And so it'll appear a bit disjointed. But what he writes here, as I said, is the culmination of the wisdom that David has, has put together. It's kind of like, it's kind of like reading Proverbs, which are his son Solomon's wise sayings that he compiled all together that God gave him. God gave Solomon extra wisdom, an extra portion of wisdom. And so his, his book is different than this, but this is David's collection of of wisdom and they fall around the theme and they fall around the theme that we see right away in verse one in psalm 37 beginning in verse one it says fret not yourself because of evildoers do not be envious of wrongdoers for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb right away in psalm 37 david starts it by saying fret not yourself he says it again later if you look in verses 7 and in 8. He uses that same phraseology again. Fret not. Don't be worked up. Don't get all worked up is basically what he's saying. Be cool. Don't get caught up in this. Don't get worked up by what you see happening with those around you. He says, fret not yourself. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. And the theme of this psalm, as you read through it, and as, as we read through it earlier, you saw that the theme of this psalm is that wicked people appear to prosper. Wicked people seem to have the inside track towards winning in the end. They, have, they seem to have the inside track toward all of the wins and all of the rewards and everything that, that people want in general. The wicked seem to have the inside track. And David says, fret not. Don't get worked up about what you're seeing. And our question this morning has to be, why would David, why would David start this psalm? Why would David begin this psalm and write, a, write an entire psalm, an entire acrostic in the Hebrew alphabet about fret not yourself when you see this happening? And the answer is because we can't process that. We can't understand that because we see things differently. We understand that nice guys seem to finish last and wicked people prosper many times at the expense of the righteous. That the ones who are doing right get shafted in the end and the ones who are doing wrong seem to always win. They seem to get all the breaks. They seem to get all the rewards. And yet, Scripture gives us a different picture than that. Here in Psalm 37 for sure, but throughout scripture, the entire tone of scripture is that, is that the meek inherit the earth. You saw that verse on, on the screen when you came into the sanctuary this morning. From the Beatitudes, Jesus says, the meek will inherit the earth. And that's the same, that's the same phrase, it's the same, same meaning that we find over and over and over in Psalm 37. That those who are blessed by the Lord will inherit the land. They will inherit the land, it says, over and over and over. 
that their inheritance is sure. So our question this morning as we jump into Psalm 37 is how can that be? How can we reconcile those two things together? How can we reconcile what we see and what appears to be true in our life, that the, that the wicked always prosper and that they win, that they get all the breaks, that everything seems to go for them, and those who, who try to do what's right and follow after God, that they're the ones that are on the losing side? How can we reconcile the apparent truth of what we see and experience against the absolute truth that we hear from the Word? And that we hear from Christ in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Here's the difference. As we jump into Psalm 37, we have to know this. There is a difference between the economy of God and the economy of man. There's a difference between the economy of God and the economy of man. And here's what I mean by that. The economy of man is what we understand. We understand it well. We understand that if you do this, you get that that this equals this and we uh, we can understand we can process that we can can see that if we do this thing that thing will happen we understand cause and effect that's the way our minds are structured our human brains can understand those types of things and so we get caught up in that economy that economy of man and when things don't begin to happen in the matter that we expect them to or that we think they should or that we want them to happen, we get angry and we get bitter and we get jealous and we get envious and we get hurt. And we say, that's not fair. That's not fair. It does not follow the economy of what I know and what I understand. Because we're caught in the economy of man. And when I talk about the economy of man, I don't mean just a a financial issue. I don't mean just a money issue when I'm talking about the economy of man and the economy of God. What I'm talking about is that the economy of man encompasses everything. It encompasses how we spend our money, but it's much more than that. It's our time and our efforts and our resources Everything that we know, everything that we are, it's an accounting for all of those things. The economy of man encompasses all of those things. And we understand that and we can process that. It's easy for us, I think, all of us, even if you're not, even if you're not a super uh, orderly person, all of us, in some extent, like order. We like rules. We like checklists. We like to be able to to know exactly what we have to do and how we can do it and what we will get in the end if we do. We like to have all of those things put together. And so we begin to try to explain things out more and more and more. And in fact, when Jesus comes and, and shares in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, really in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6 and 7, when you look at those chapters, Jesus is coming to the Pharisees and he's saying, He's saying, what you have done to the Pharisees, he says, what you have done is you have made lists and checklists and rules. You have set them up to follow after God and to chase after God because you wanted to make this much more manageable and much more, much more understandable. You tried to figure out everything that there is about God and put it into a checklist and down on paper. And so you have this list of what's right and what's wrong. And Jesus says it this way. He says, You've heard it said that, 
and will give an instruction that the Pharisees had given. And then Jesus says, but I say something else. You've heard it said that, but I say. You see, what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, what God is saying to us, I think, here in Psalm 37, is that God's economy is different than man's. God's economy is different than man's economy. We come into life in our default setting, our default position, understands the economy of man. We understand things like this gets this and that gets that. But we do not understand the economy of God. The economy of God has an entire different set of rules which do not come naturally to us. The economy of God is based, is set on a different standard. Economies are based on a standard. The economy of God is based on a different standard than the economy of man. The economy of God is based and set and stems from God himself. From a perfect and righteous and holy and good God. He is the basis. He is the foundation. He's the backing for his economy. And so when we see God's economy and we begin to understand and process things that come from God's economy, there's no need for us to say that's not fair because we don't worry about fair because the basis of God's economy is best. God only does what's good. He only does what's best. And so we don't have to worry about fairness because what God is doing, we don't worry about whether it's fair or not because what God is doing is best. That's all he can do. That's the foundation for his economy. And God's economy is entirely different than ours. He controls all things. He's infinite. And so he, he sees time differently than we do. And so all of the resources and, and efforts and, and, and things that we put into our economy and think we can understand, this gets that and checks and balances and, and cause and effect. God sees all of those things differently because his character is different than our character because his default setting is different than our default setting. And so you have to be able to understand, or at least, at least understand the concept of what that might mean as we jump into Psalm 37, because that's really what David is saying. David is saying there is a difference between the economy of man and the way that we understand and process and see things and the way of God, the economy of God, the way that he sees and processes and does things. And so then David, after he says, fret not yourself because of the evildoers and do not be envious of wrongdoers, says they will soon fade like grass and wither like green herb. And then he begins to give us some instructions. He says, you don't need to fret about it because there's a different economy of God. There's those who follow after God. There's those who look and live under the economy of God. And there's others who look and live and rest under the economy of man. And there's a difference between those two people. And then David says, beginning right there in verse 3, he says, here is the man who looks and rests and sits under the economy of God. This is the picture of who that man is, David says. Verse 3, he says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. The man, the man who rests in the economy of God and sits under the economy of God and finds his hope there, trusts in the Lord. 
He trusts in the Lord. It's a, it's a, it's a passive picture that he rests as, as, as you've heard the illustration, as a, as a man might sit on a chair and rest on a chair that you trust in the Lord. But he doesn't just say that you, that you sit and you rest and you trust that you sit on a chair and rest, but he says, trust, rest, trust in the Lord. And then he says, and do good. So it's passive in that you trust and yet you also are active. You do good. You trust in the Lord and you do good. That there's both sides of that. That we rest completely and totally and 100% we rest in God and then we do good. We also are active in that. It's like we talked about last week when, when David says, Oh God, you are my God. That there is a personal part to this. That David has made a personal decision to follow after God and to chase after God. That there's a part in him that has turned and looks to God. We trust in God and we do good. We rest and we have faith and we are active in that as well. In fact, he goes on to say that then in verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The person who rests in the economy of God delights himself in the Lord. We talk a lot here at Richland about the difference between duty and delight, and I think you probably have that picture. The idea, as Pastor Ron shares the illustration, that if you were to come home, if I come home after a day at work and I have a, a great big bundle of flowers and I bring them to my wife and she opens the door and I say, and she says, oh, those flowers are beautiful. Are they for me? And I say, yes, it's my duty to bring you these flowers and help you celebrate. You know how that's, or you can probably picture how that might be received. But if I come home and I have a bundle of flowers and Jenny opens the door and I say, she says, are those flowers for me? And I say, yes, it's my delight to share these flowers with you. You see the difference in how those two things might be received. You understand the difference in that picture. And that's what David is saying here in, in verse 4, in chapter 37, verse 4. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Celebrate. Come with joy. It's not duty when, when he says, trust in the Lord and do good, we don't see that as duty, but instead we see it as delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. Because, we, and we delight in him because he is the perfect completeness of good, of love, of joy, of peace. All of these characteristics that he calls for us to be, God is the perfect representation of all of those things. And so there actually is nothing that we can do except to delight in those things. When we begin to see the perfect picture of what love and joy and peace, patience and all of those things are, we see that and we delight in it. And then when we delight in it, the verse goes on to say, he gives us the desires of our heart. I don't think any of us any of us in here today think, when we read that, that he gives us the whimsical longings that we have, the trite wants of a person who might be stuck in the economy of man. That's not what he's saying. God does not give us those things. He gives us instead a desire for himself. When we delight 
ourselves in him and we see that perfect representation, that perfect completeness of good and love and joy and peace and we see all those things and we delight in that, we have a desire then for more of that and God gives us that desire of our heart. He gives us the actual desire. He turns our hearts to want him and then he gives us himself. He gives us the object of that desire to delight in him and he fulfills that desire in us. So the man who rests under the economy of God trusts in the Lord and does good. He delights himself and finds the desires of his heart. And then in verse 5 he says, Commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. This this phrase, as the commentators say, this phrase means to to roll into the Lord, to go all in, that you that you give up all your own control and you totally commit yourself then to God. You go all in. And then he says, in verse 7, Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. He says, be still and to wait patiently. Be still and wait patiently. This is not an, an, an antsy kind of stillness. This kind of stillness where you, where you sit there, but you, but all you can think about is when you get to, get to bust out, when you get to, to get to go free, where you, where you shake your hands and wonder what's, that's not the kind of stillness that David's talking about here in Psalm 37. It's a stillness that says, I, I can, I can be quiet. I can trust. I can be patient. He goes on to say, I can wait patiently. It's a, it's a, I have no doubts kind of waiting that I know everything will be fine, that I don't have any worries and no doubts kind of waiting. And this, this kind of patient waiting is actually the secret, I think, to this whole psalm. Everything in Psalm 37 that he says is about looking and having a no-doubts kind of waiting. That we can look to God and know that He holds all things together and ultimately, at some place, the wicked will be brought down, the meek will inherit the earth, not in man's timing, not in our economy, but in God's timing and in God's economy. All of these things will be true. And then he says, and I I think this is why we can find that to be true, that we're to wait patiently for him, because in verse 8 then he says, refrain from anger. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. And then he reminds us, fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Because what happens is we get caught up again in the economy of man and in seeing things and seeing time and, pers- and perspective from our own economy. And we think this is not happening. And if it is happening, it's not happening fast enough. And it's not happening in the way that I think it should happen. And he says, wait patiently, a no doubt kind of waiting. And as you wait patiently, trusting in me and in my economy, you will not get angry. Anger, anger comes from a lack of trust. 
Anger comes from not understanding. Anger comes when we, when we get caught in the idea that this is not happening the way that we think it should happen. We get angry. Anger does not sit well with the light. Anger does not sit well with the light. And it's not the picture of be still and patient and waiting. David tells us then, and, and reminds us in verses 9 through 11. He says, The evildoer shall be cut off. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, he says, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land, and they will delight themselves in abundant peace. These first 11 verses here that David gives us in Psalm 37 is the picture that, that if we are to live under God's economy and not man's economy, we need to look up first. We need to look to God first. We need to trust in the Lord. We need to delight in the Lord. We need to look up first and then look out with eyes of God's economy that are associated with God's economy so that we look out, we look down, we look forward to the future. We look up to God first, and then we look forward in, the, in God's economy to see that ultimately, ultimately everything that God has promised will come true. We don't have time to look at all Psalm 37. You can, can read it again as you go home. But there's just a number of places there in these next verses where, where David gives us a, a contrast really between righteous and, and wicked. This first part was, was these are the things that, that, that one who lives in God's economy, they trust in the Lord, they delight themselves in the Lord, they get the desires of their heart, they commit their way to the Lord, they wait patiently before Him, they refrain from anger. And then he just gives a, a, a contrast, an o, back and forth between what the wicked are and what the righteous are. And you can see them there. I don't have time to touch on them all, but in verses 12 and 13, he says, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth, but the Lord laughs, which is an interesting phrase. The Lord laughs at the wicked and sees that his day is coming. God's economy is so different than man's economy that when man plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him and shows how big and strong and great he is, God's response to that in his economy is that he laughs. That's how different the economy of man is from the economy of God. One thinks he holds all the cards and has the upper hand, and God's response is laughter. I laugh at your plans. I laugh at what you think you can do. Verses 14 and 15. It says, The wicked draw their sword and they bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword will enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. God says, or David says in Psalm 37, he says, The strength that those who live under the economy of man, the strength of those who, who trust in their own bow and trust in their own spear, that strength that they're developing in the end that strength and that weapon that they're developing against, against those of God and the plans of God, that very strength that they're developing will be what brings them to the end. That the bow that they're stretching, that the sword that they're sharpening, that is what will enter their heart. That those bows will be broken and those weapons will be what's used against them. The strength that they think they have will actually lead to their downfall. 
Verses 16 to 17 says, Better is the little that the righteous had than the abundance of the wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. He says, Wealth and power which look like, which look like they are with the wicked in God's economy are not. They will be taken from the wicked. And in fact, the righteous who seem like they have nothing will be upheld. Verses 18 to 20, the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the abundance of famine, they have abundance. That, and, and then in verse 20, the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish they, like smoke. They vanish away. What, what David is saying here is that the wicked will flower for a little while. They will be that, that beautiful pl- flower, the glory in the pasture, but they will vanish. They will burn up. But those who live under the economy of God will make it through to the long haul. Verses 21 and 22, the wicked borrow but do not pay back. The righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. That the wicked borrow, they they continue to to absorb and take in and want more and more and more. The, the, The righteous, though, are generous. They are not takers, but they are givers. Those who live under the economy of God are givers, not takers. There's more there as you read through. And and again, we don't have time to to look at them all. But you can continue to read on as David continues to contrast the, the wicked against the righteous and begins to give pictures of those who live under the economy of God and what they look like versus those who live under the economy of man and what they look at. But then... Let's jump to the end. David closes his psalm in verse 34. In verse 39, excuse me. He closes his psalm and reminds us that the righteous are going to inherit the land. And then he says in verse 39, The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. David reminds us here, he reminds us all through the Psalms over and over and over, David's phrases that the salvation belongs to the Lord. He reminds us over and over that our salvation is totally dependent upon God. That he is the basis for the economy of God. The basis of that is God himself. And our salvation is wholly dependent on Upon him. The Lord helps them and delivers them. Let me tell you though what happened to me as I was preparing this message this week. I'm, I'm kind of penciling out what I'm going to do and I'm looking at these last verses thinking about how does David end this psalm. And, and this is what happens to me and, and you'll, you'll probably think less of me after this. But, but I, I read verse 40 and I read, The Lord helps them. And in my mind, instantly, I can't believe this happened, except maybe for this illustration. But instantly, I read, the Lord helps them. And the next thing that comes to my mind is, the Lord helps them who help themselves. Are you thinking that same thing? Good. Not good, but good that I'm not the only one. Because that's the economy of man. That's the epitome of the economy of man. That that God helps those who help themselves. 
that if we do a little bit of it, that, that, that we'll be able to accomplish it. That's the economy of man. We understand that this gets that cause and effect. God helps those because we help ourselves. That's not what it says in Psalm 3. In fact, that's not what it says anywhere. If you think that's a verse in the Bible somewhere, it's not. The economy of man is our default position. That's what we see and understand, but that is not the truth of Scripture. This is the truth of Scripture. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and he saves them because they take refuge in him. God's economy is this. The Lord helps us and delivers us. There is no part in that sentence that is us. Except that God does it to us, for us. The economy of God is that he delivers us. Our salvation is dependent entirely and wholly on him. God helps them and God delivers them. He does every part of it. And what do we do, it says at the very end? We rest. We take refuge. Part of that is a personal choice. We, we do want to, to look to him and rest in him. But God does it all. He helps them. He delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked. He saves them. And we rest. Commit our ways to him. Delight in him. And he gives us the desires of our hearts. God's economy is totally different than man's economy. God's economy is wholly different. There is no this for that. There is only, I am all in and I trust in you. I take refuge in you. I trust in God and in his economy. I can't see the end, but I know that in the end, God is the one who wins out. His economy is the one that lasts. And so I hope in that. The worship team is going to lead us. We're going to sing again a song this morning that we already sang, reminding us that everything comes from and through God. I'd like you to stand with me this morning as we close and sing this song. Every breath we take In pleasure or pain There is no mistake Gladness and grief Both are in your hands And suffering's brief Carry out your plan And your fleeting Sorrows Will yield an endless Prize When some bright Tomorrow We'll see you with our Giver of all grace, 
Your mercies crown our lives all our days. River of life, quench our thirsty souls. For no true delight does your love withhold. And in every season, we are satisfied for just one reason. Christ was crucified, and grace upon grace flows down, flows down, and grace upon grace flows down, flows down through the precious blood of Christ. Mark gifts, every good thing comes to us freely, so freely. Mark gifts, every good thing comes to us freely, so freely. Precious blood through the precious blood and grace upon grace falls down. this morning that precious blood of Christ that is that is the transaction God that that moves us from that economy of man that default position that we are set in that 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 carnal innate nature that we have to live under the economy of man that precious blood of Christ moves us God that's the transaction that takes place to move us from the economy of man to the economy of God It moves us from trying to save ourselves to looking to you and trusting in you, finding refuge in you, that you help us and you deliver us, God. That's the economy of God. And so my prayer this morning is that you will cause us to rest in that because the precious blood of Christ has moved us from death to life, from the economy of man to the economy of God. And so we rest in the name of Jesus, praying that, God, you will help us to find refuge and delight and stillness and hope in you. Help us, God. We pray these things in your name. Amen.